five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 73 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? You accepting the fact golf season is really almost over or is over? Well, it's pretty much over. I played uh, yesterday, actually, at Hidden Lake uh, with some buddies of mine from uh, Rattlesnake Point. Um, played pretty good, actually. Awesome. I played there the week before. 75, 77 yesterday. But I think we might play Wednesday. I'm not sure. We're going to have to wait and see what the weather holds. (laughs) Well, it's all good. As you you can see, as you can see, Mike, it's Christmas time here at the Vibe household. That's why that's why everything has changed in the room here. So I got it. I got got no I got no say in that, my my pal. Well, I'm with a buddy of mine for a couple more days here in Florida before we come back. So we'll get back, we'll come back to all that crazy, crazy stuff. So speaking of which, our guest today, after his third year in OHL with Niagara Falls, was selected 14th overall by the Chicago Blackhawks. He would enjoy 16-year pro career with stops in Edmonton, where he'd be named captain, ending with Columbus in LA. Please welcome the Squid Melton Leap Band show. Ethan, and I'm gonna throw this one in there, Chop Morrow. First off, Ian, thanks for joining us. And how you keeping it? <laughs> Keep, I'm keeping well. I, I, I appreciate you throwing that in there. Um, I, I've, no, I've known you for like two minutes, so you can use my nickname. Go ahead. I, I, about that, that's pretty well. That's what we. There's no filter in the show, so let's start right off with that one. How did you come up with that nickname? How'd you get it chopped? Um, I, uh, not 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 the best story I have, but Dennis Savard, who uh, was one of my first centermen, and um, I know I know obviously Squid knows him very well. Um, but he was great to me, and he just came in the room one day and just said uh, he wasn't playing, and he's like, every time you go to hit somebody, um, chop, 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 you slash them first, which is just, it's like, like I said, it's not a great story, but just kind of stuck, and chop came into Chopper, and then five years later, ten years later, the whole league kind of knew me as Chopper, and really the only person that calls me Ethan is my mom, so... Uh, it was pretty cool until, until I ran into Al McKinnis. We were on a golf trip, and he's Chopper, and obviously he's got a little more pull with that name. So I had to uh, be something else other than Chopper for a weekend. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, you know what? I changed it to Ace because I heard that was Mario's nickname, and I was like, I can pull it off. So I was, I was Ace for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, how are you keeping busy these days? Are you still doing some coaching? Um, no, it's pretty quiet right now. When I retired, I worked for Montreal right away, and then I jumped right into coaching. I was in the NCAA, then I was in uh, the GoJ, um, coached my son, which was uh, awesome, which is so much fun. And then, um, honestly, I, I got hooked up with the NHL alum- alumni with uh, Squid and some great guys, which I, uh, I love. Uh, and uh, hockey helps the homeless was another uh, thing that I was able to do because when you have a when you have a job in hockey you can't do these things. Um, 
I love coaching, obviously scouting for me. So if you want to be in management, you go the scouting direction. Um, you try to get an assistant uh, uh, GM role and then you go from there. My problem is that I wasn't willing to work my way up, um, especially in the coaching ranks. I kind of lived that life. I don't want to end up in um, the middle of nowhere. And then and, and I don't have a big enough name like a – like a Steve Eiserman or a Brendan Shanahan to just jump into an executive role. Yeah. Um, which is, so for me, it would have taken a lot of hard work that I wasn't mentally and uh, ably, ably to put into the time at, at that time. But I do really enjoy coaching. I was just trying to find gigs that were close to me. I went to Buffalo, which is about 15 minutes from my house. Uh, I worked at the Harbor Center, which is run by the Pagulas which is awesome. And then Niagara University, which again is about 15 minutes from my house. So I kind of exhausted everything close to me except for the Sabres, but I'm trying to stay away from them for a bit. <laughs> so uh, Leafs gig would be all right too. Well, you said we've only known each other for two minutes, which is true, but you know what? We do have one small connection chop. Now you played for the Aurelia Terriers junior B team. Yeah. Now when you're probably about four or five old, five years old, there was another team there called the Aurelia Terriers senior A team. I actually played for them. So we do have a little bit of a connection going back to the earlier days. Oh, oh yeah. Seniors making a comeback. At, like at that time, that would have been like 89, right? Yeah, I was actually 80. 80, 81. 79, yeah. 80, 81. Okay. So I was – so this is pretty cool. So I just moved from Huntsville, Ontario. So I was playing double B hockey. I went to Aurelia. Um, I played, well, tier two at the time, Travelways. Then they went to – the Terriers. So I was, I turned 15 during the year and both my line mates turned 21. So that was the kind of year of hockey where people knew, like nobody knew who I was. I was in uh, Huntsville playing double B hockey. So I went in the uh, first round of the OHL draft as an underage, um, just because of that opportunity with the Aurelia Terriers. Fantastic. Squid? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. But I, I hear what you're saying about uh, getting into the co. I mean, I went that route. I ended up getting a job in the ECHL for five years and in the American League for a couple, OHL for one year. And then, well, that wasn't a very good year. That was with the Mississauga Ice Dogs, uh, which my boss was Don Cherry. We won three games that year. And I never, I, I sent out resumes for seven years, like 20 to 25 a year. Yeah. And yeah. I never even got an interview. So it is. What, it is a very difficult yeah. route to go do you know, down. Do, do, do you know why you didn't get any responses? I have no, no idea. Unfortunately, no idea. Unfortunately, and I don't want to paint a broad uh, stroke here because there's some guys in the game I I love, like Billy Garen and um, certain guys that hold Kevin Adams that hold very good titles, GM spots in the NHL, but. Um, a lot of players that get the opportunity, like you're, like you mentioned, Rick, that you probably deserved and that you applied for, um, are kiss asses. And if you're not a yes man, I worked for Montreal for three years, and um, it, it it's unbelievable. Like, I, if I didn't agree with something, I, 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 that's just the way I am, and it wasn't appreciated. And you won't win like that if if you think that. So if everybody's just going to try to hold on to their job and their GM and make their million bucks and do that for three or four years, they'll never win the Stanley Cup. So the teams that win the Stanley Cup, they have this plan. They have this plan in place for four to six to six to eight years, and they try to keep people with them throughout that time period 
where then again not to not to bash in Montreal but that wasn't the case there um and I hated it I was a pro scout um right after I retired you're always by yourself um I just felt my opinions didn't really matter I my whole thing was like you have the best goalie in the world don't waste his career which we have which they did um but um yeah to just like like to go back to what squid was saying why a lot of good people are on the outside looking in if you have too much to say and you don't agree with everything you can just say yes to everything man you can make a lot of money just being a pro scout which is probably smarter than me and him but um you got to trace you got to you got to kind of stay true to yourself well that that's the same as me and i you know that year i didn't in mississauga was a terrible year i didn't agree with my boss and on a lot of well a whole bunch of things we had it out we had a little kind of conversation that didn't go that well and and that's what happened so you're right i mean if you're gonna win you gotta have people around you that don't always just disagree or agree with you that they got to put their 10 cents worth in and maybe that takes the team in a little bit of a different direction so I think you're right, absolutely, that uh, if you're just going to have a bunch of people that are yes people, you're not going to have success. No. Yeah, confrontation yeah. Confrontation is valued at any level of business. And I found that, like, Rick Dudley, I don't know what your opinions are, but I, I think he's a genius. But, I mean, we, we, we would have arguments that would get personal. But I knew that it was because we were trying to figure something out and get better. And there was nothing personal about it afterwards, even though I said it was personal. But he, he, like, so you have to have, you have to have opposition. You have to have animosity. You have to have literally yelling matches in those war rooms to get things accomplished. And if you don't, I guarantee you're not one of the teams that are going to win the Stanley Cup. Well, I can tell you, Rick Dudley's one of the guys that would, would have arguments. I can tell you that right now. But, but he he's been successful uh, wherever he's been, pretty much. So, um, and he coached me in Buffalo. He was a great coach. He had a pretty tough, uh, hot temper, uh, but nonetheless, we were successful because you know he he was one of those guys that just wouldn't stand for mediocrity. He wanted the best, and he brought the best out of every player that we had on our team. Well, I think you guys both touched on this subject. I know I came from a from the world of finance after you know, a career in that, and I can tell you guys that confrontation is a good thing as long as you leave it inside the four walls and you don't take it home with you. Because the fact is, if everybody's always agreeing, as you mentioned, Chop, and it's yes, 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 somebody's patronizing somebody, and that isn't a healthy situation yeah. for any business. You'd be, you'd be shocked at the people in positions in the sport that are just strictly there to say yes and stroke the uh, people ahead of them. Yeah. I'll stop, I'll stop well, there. Well, that's, yeah, that's where I, we get the idea. So I think the, uh, which is good. The, the, the um, you come from Hansfeld, we talked about Aurelia, you get drafted by Niagara Falls, talk about life in the falls and right up to your draft. You had a, just some great numbers, uh, putting up some good penalty minutes. You were hearing any chatter coming into your draft year about somebody who would take you or where you would go possibly. Yeah, so we, we, we had a weird uh, situation in Niagara Falls where it wasn't really structured. We didn't – I shouldn't say we had good coaching because I, I had George Burnett from my underage year who let me play 
Um, I had Chris Johnstone. I played with his brother. But we just weren't very good teams, so I didn't learn a lot about winning. Um, I just kind of missed Brad May. I missed Keith Primo. I missed Manny Legacy. I missed missed some guys that would have been very, very helpful to my career, and it probably would accelerate things three to four years. However, I was left as, as the leader of that team and try to figure things out. Again, we didn't have good teams. Um, I had personal success, but I knew the personal success I was having was because of my um, athletic ability. Because growing up playing a, a lesser uh, double B hockey and then going mm-hmm. right to junior, then right to the OHL, I was there because I was just bigger and stronger than everybody else. I wasn't great at hockey. So my thing was when I, I and this is this is from a guy that got drafted in the first round and I scored 40, right. 44 goals in 50 games, but it was just through brute. Like I was just better than you at everything else, probably other than hockey. So when I got to Chicago and there was this big article about, I was going to play with uh, Ronick and Amante. Um, like I was there two weeks. And I'm like, I can't play in the top six, which is pretty mature for a 19, 20 year old, but I just knew I couldn't. And, 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 and if I was going to, it would take me five to six years. I was so far behind in skill development, but I said, you know what I can do is I can fucking outwork everybody in the third and fourth line. Um, like I can, and, you know, it was a way different game. Like Rick will tell you, there's a lot of macho-ness in the game. Half, half your thing was done before the game started. Um, you know, I pretended a little bit. I was tough. I acted tougher than I was, and I was able to score. So, um, and I had some great leadership on that team with Chris Chelios, Brent Sutter, Bob Probert. Um, I could keep on going. Uh, Eddie Belfort, Murray Craven. But anyway, I had a great start to my career. They treated me um, just incredible. Um, just for my career to go the way it was, like even going back to junior B. Everything was perfect. I got treated by my coaches and my teammates, um, especially at a very young age. I never had anything, really not much adversity to deal with. So my path, even though it came from um, um, humble beginnings, um, um, was was very smooth. Now the... So let me, hold on. Let me take you back to junior then. Is that that where you met your wife? Yeah, so my... um, so her brother. I, I kind of figured that. I went to high school with her brother. So she's a little bit older. So I, I never went to school with her. I went to school with Leo, who I told you's got that great restaurant in St. Catharines, Valley yeah. Tret- Trattoria. For your listeners, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, good plug. Yeah, but she, yeah, no, she's awesome, and she's been awesome the whole time. Um, just a great, great wife, great hockey wife. Um, couldn't be happier. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been pretty cool to share, uh, everything with her. Well, I was going to say, going back to your junior, another draft year, what process did you go through? So, I mean, you're going through all of this. There must've been a little bit of chatter. Somebody taking it. Did you, did you go through an interview process in those days? And then if so, what kind of questions were these guys asking you? Do you, do you want a funny one or what actually like? No, some both. Okay. Okay, I'll tell you a quick. I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny one because I was ranked. I was ranked sixth by Edmonton. I I ended up going 14th to Chicago, but Boston was picking. I think 20th, and uh, there's no because I knew I wasn't going past 14th. So, uh, and Rick probably doesn't know us because the draft has changed a few times. And so so in, in '94, it was basically you walk into a room with 12 people, and they all look like they're over 65. 
especially especially in Boston. Like 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 fuck, turn the lights up because half guys are sleeping. Um, so Harry Sinden, who yeah, you know what? I knew who Harry Sinden is, but honestly, I don't give a fuck. Like like, who's Harry Sinden to me? You know what I mean? I grew up a Leafs fan. I grew up a Leafs fan. Yeah. So. He's like, if we draft you, what number do you want? And I was like, uh, I was thinking four or eight. <laughs> so, 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 so meeting over, no laughs. Uh, that was it, meeting over. And then, uh, yeah, I thought it was fucking hilarious. But I would have uh, drafted you not for that alone. So, so anyway, that night I go to the Newport Sports. This is awesome. I go to the Newport Sports party and. Do you guys, you guys know who Motor City Smitty is? Yep. So I think. Oh was, yeah, I played so with him. Was, I think he might have been head scout, right, in Edmonton at the time. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So he's he's had it. He's feeling pretty good. And he walks me up to the elevators and he's like, "Hey, we're taking you uh, sixth. We're going to take Jason Bond Senior, who was my line mate in junior, who wasn't really because I didn't want. He played on the second line anyway. So they take. So they. You shouldn't do that. So they said, we're going to take you six. They're going to take two guys from the same team, fourth and six. And then I, so I get away from him. I'm walking the elevator. Daryl Sutter comes flying around the corner. He's like, hey, you're going to be a fucking Blackhawk. He gets in the elevator, but doesn't let me get on it and just goes to his room. So no, so I'm only, you know, I'm 18. I go back and my mom's like, how was it? I'm like, pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> I go, apparently I'm going to Edmonton, but I don't know this guy's pretty drunk. So anyway, so Edmonton takes Bond Senior, my teammate fourth, who never played in the NHL. Then they take Ryan Smith six, which is a great pick. And then sure enough, Chicago picks me at 14th. So that was my uh hopefully I didn't take up too much time, but that was my draft story. No, that's pretty good. I like that. Squid Gears yeah. wasn't yeah. quite like that. Oh, God, no. Mine, I was sitting in uh, the fire hall in PEI waiting for a phone call to see who drafted me in uh, what, 1979. Yeah. And uh, that was the year of the merger of the WHA and the NHL. Right. So it was a late draft, too. I think it was in August. And yeah. it was a phone draft. And uh, but So what did you think the first time you uh, played at the Chicago Stadium? So I, I, um, so when I got there, obviously the stadium was there. Um, um, I was pretty close to making the team. My first year, they wanted to send. They had, a, as you know, they they had a very old team. They sent me back, unfortunately, because I played as an underage. It was my fourth year junior, which didn't really help me. But the some of the rules were in place that they are now. So, yep. um, my first full year was the first year in the united center so i got to um practice in the united the old sorry the uh uh, the old gardens and um um and play one exhibition game so i never got to experience it but i was very lucky in my career where i caught the tail end a lot of those great arenas especially maple leaf gardens for me um and then it really changed like that 94, 95 where all the new buildings came in. So I was extremely lucky to play in Toronto, Montreal, a little bit in Chicago, but to get, but to get to the culture of Chicago as well. And I, I was obviously well aware of the building and we were good at the time. So the United, Stater, United Stadium was rocking as well. 
So maybe talk about your first yeah, year no, pro. They, they, they sent you back to they sent you in the Annapolis in the eyes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so talk about that and maybe the difference yeah. between playing junior hockey and playing with these pros. Yeah. Well, this is this is old school. Rip will appreciate this. So so I was so in '94 it was literally the year that uh, salary uh, signing bonuses for rookies went up, and it was a huge contention, especially for the older players. And honestly, I can see why it wasn't fair. So. Um, especially like Bob Polford is my, uh, the guy I'm negotiating with. And, you know, I'm, I'm right. Yeah. No I, kidding. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So all, most of the conversations well. are around two, two in the morning after a bottle of scotch, not for me, but <laughs> so, so I was ranked high, got drafted a little bit later, but kind of knew my worth. And I saw guys signing what they're getting. And obviously they did too. And, um, his thing was like, you know, we just signed Eric Dazi the year before for, I think it was 350,000 signing bonus. And he was like up for rookie of the year. He said, Jeremy Roenick, you know, two years before signed for 150. And, uh, he goes, we just can't pay you what you're asking for. It just, just doesn't make sense. Right. And I get it. Like I, I get it. And, uh, but I said, I can't really watch my peers make more money than me that I'm better than. And he goes, who are you better than? And I go, well, get out your list. So he gets out his list and he goes, well, you should have went fourth overall then. I'm like, well, call me in 10 years and tell me where I should have went. He kind of, he kind of liked that and chuckled and he goes, we get better fucking be worth it. And, and so anyway, it didn't get settled that night. So I had to go back to really, I, I, I actually practiced with my junior B team. Um, and then when I was called, this is typical like this because I made the team. I was on the team. Um, as soon as I signed that contract, guess where I went? Right, right, to, right to Indy. <laughs> and I, and you know what, best thing in the world for me, that league at the time um, in the IHL was awesome. Like I, I played with, I bet you eight, nine guys that were in the IHL maybe two years before that. And the AHL, conversely, um, guys were just running around trying to fight each other because everybody was trying to be um, draft guys like me, you know. So it, it allowed me to stay away from kind of some of the bullshit and allowed me to 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 really work on my game. Um, like I, I think I scored 20 goals in the IHL. The next year in the NHL, I scored 16. So that year in the IHL was, um, regardless of how it happened, was 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 huge for me. It taught me a lot. Um, like I said, it was a great league and it prepared me very well for the NHL. Well, you talked about Bob Pulford, so <laughs> I know Bob. So I get traded from Toronto to Chicago. I'm making 300000 So it converts from Canadian to U.S. U.S. taxes, which are much better than the Canadian taxes. But my contract's up at the end of the year. Well, I score 43 goals. And Bob Pulford off, offers me 260, 260, 265, like a $40,000 pay cut after a 43-goal season. <laughs> so Bill Waters, who was my agent, uh, said he got an arbitration date set, and Pulley called him, and he goes, okay, well, uh, you know what's going to happen if, uh, if you go to arbitration and uh, – Bill goes, yeah, I know. Holy, you're going to trade him. He goes, yeah, well, that's what's going to happen. Two days later, 
he gives me a three-year deal at three and a quarter, three and a quarter, 350. And I'm like, why did this take all summer? You know, like it was just ridiculous. But that was pulley, and that, or that was kind of the way most of the GMs were back in, in those days. I yeah. mean, they, they were all, it's like they were throwing around their own money, and they didn't, <laughs> didn't want to give yeah, me enough. I don't know if it gets any. <laughs> pulley, I don't know if it gets any worse or better than pulley, but I learned to appreciate him. I also I learned to appreciate Bob Murray. And while we're on it, Bob Murray's a fucking awesome man. And whatever he's going through, I'm yeah. in your corner, dude. And, uh, um with this uh cancel culture we live in uh murph you're a fucking awesome guy and i'm in your corner so now speaking of guys how about chalios now he everybody has stories about chalios now as a young kid did he look after you so my first my first um again i'm i'm, I'm i get called up i'm i'm, I'm uh so excited i get uh unfortunately Fortunately, I have a great start. I get a couple fights, a couple goals, um, just to ingratiate myself and my teammates. So we're dry, we're on the plane back to Chicago. Uh, Squid, what's that? You, you remember that hotel back in Chicago, the one, uh, that shitty one? Um, the Drake. No, the Drake. The Drake, the one. Drake's yeah, Bismarck. You remember the Bismarck, or maybe not? Oh, the Bismarck. I'm sorry, that's the one that the owners owned uh, of the Hawks. They had that nice yeah. uh, breakfast place across the street. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, it, does, it doesn't matter. So Chelly comes back and he's like, hey, man, where are you standing tonight? And I go, uh, they got me staying at the whatever Bismarck. And he's like, why don't you just come with me? You can stay at my house. I'm like, well, okay, great. You know, it's Chris Chelly also. I go to Chelly's house and um, we had a, like I said, we were, we were kind of making um, a run at Colorado. Well, if I don't this pre uh pre-salary cap but colorado was stacked detroit was stacked dallas was stacked but we were pretty close like we had a very good team we still had eddie and that we still had um chelios and Suter, um rona Camonte, Provi, nichols we, we were good um so yeah so to to answer your question the guy treated me like literally um the biggest influence on my career so um I think part of it was that we had a really old team and he knew that I was a young guy liked to have fun. So he kind of had a built-in guy in South to go out with, um, which was fine with me. So I, I wrote it, I wrote his coattails to uh, uh, many good stories, but he, he, he was the single um, not, and it's not even close. He took care of me, like brought me to bulls games, brought me like, just treated me like uh yeah, like it was just no it was even beyond that like it's it's just it was um it was like just incredible son. it's incredible what he did for me yeah i don't know if he just like yeah what what he did for me was incredible on and off the ice well one of the names to mention at the end of the list there was uh, bernie nichols and you've only mentioned that name once now were you ever victim to one of his famous scare pranks now, if you were, you weren't. You were in pretty good company because the guy in the top right-hand corner was a real victim of his at one time, and I think he got everybody. Yeah, so I caught Bernie right at the end. It was his last year. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm like 20, 21 years old. Probably didn't have too many conversations with him. Um, they were a close team, but again, older. So I don't. I I just didn't get to know Bernie as well as I'd like to. I got him to know a little bit better actually after. 
he retired and he's working with uh, different teams um, where I got to play golf with him. He's an incredible golfer, but yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to experience him as a teammate like Rick did. Well, so, you got you squared. Yeah. Well, you're, you're lucky you didn't because, uh, I, and this was at the world championships in, uh, Prague. And, uh, I, I was rooming by myself because we had an odd number of guys. So I go up to, we go to the pregame meal and I go up to my, my room and, you know, I go into the bathroom to get on the toilet and do what you do after a meal. And then all of a sudden the curtain opened on the bathtub and he came out screaming. I don't know how he got my key. I know he went to the desk. He must've got it somehow that way. Well, I thought I was going to have a goddamn heart attack. And I was only probably 24, 25 at the time. And I literally was holding my chest going, Oh my God. <laughs> well, he said he got Scott Stevens one night, and Stevens was so shook up he was on his bed kicking his feet and almost crying. I bet you, that, I bet you that doesn't happen in the NHL much. I, I always love listening to the old guy—not old guys, but guys older than me—because I honestly think our story, our storytelling gets weaker the, every generation that goes by. Um, our recollection, like when I talk to guys, I'm fucking amazed when they say. Uh, it's, you know, January 19th, we're in Boston and there's 847 left on the clock. I'm like, it's just unbelievable. Their retention and their, like the way that they enjoyed it and they soaked it up. You know, we had few, like uh, more distractions, but now the players, I think, I just think that like the actual stories and the memories will be lost just because of social media and trying to remember everything. Um, with your phone and pictures, it doesn't work like that. The memories are in your head, and I've just always, always, always had great respect for the generation before me, partly just because they're funny fucking guys and they got great stories. Well, I was just going to say that, uh, speaking of stories, how about your first time through the league? Did you Was it really just a blur for you, or did you get a chance to enjoy it in any memorable moments or at a particular rink or city that stuck out for you? Yeah, I'll tell you, one, one uh, probably the first month of my career, my parents were able to drive up to Pittsburgh from uh, Aurelia, um, and I happened to get a, a lucky night. Um, so after the game, we, uh, I ended up getting uh, – so I didn't know this. Rick probably knows this. but So Mario had third star. Chris Chelios says second. I had first star, right? So – I knew at home when you got a star, you went for a little twirl. And then Chelly's like, hey, he, he's like, Chop, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, your first star, you got to fuck, you got to go out there and do a little lap. So I'm like, all right. Like, it's, you know, so, so guess who's the only guy in the NHL that does that is Chris Chelios. So I'm, I'm going around, I'm high stepping around the middle circle and people are bowing, throwing shit at me. I'm like, he was, so he was in tears. He's like, no, nah, man. He goes, only I do that just because everybody hates me. I'm like, oh, okay. But anyway, so I got that, I got that, I got that game sheet framed. And that was, that was a very cool moment in my first year. But again, like I said, everything was like, I just, I never had that guy that tried to like, you know, discourage me or uh, the coaches were awesome to me. Um, the players, the teammates, I was mentally strong, but I was also treated the way that I should be treated. And, um, you know, and I responded with good play. So it, a lot of the success of my career and my longevity is strictly 
from the way I began, the way I was molded, um, the way that like Brent Sutter and Chris Chelios taught me how to play the game. And then going to Edmonton and seeing Kelly Buckberger and Dougie Waite and Bill Guerin and Marty McSorley. I just, I literally learned the game from players because I didn't really have coaching and elite coaching. Um, and I just picked, and I, and I didn't stop until I was about 32. I kept learning and that's why I, you know, I became a much better player as, as I got older because I, I was literally learning the game. But Well, let's talk about uh, retention. So I'll show you my retention, even though I'm reading off a note. March 20th, 1999, you're part of a very big trade with Edmonton. You just touched on Edmonton. How'd you find out? Any inkling of what happened? And how'd you respond to it all? Um, so, so Addy Belfour got traded. Chris Chelos got traded. I knew that, well, the team itself knew to, knew that we could not compete with Colorado Detroit. We tried. Um, it just wasn't um, just wasn't going to happen. Um, I had some. I forget what happened. I think I broke my hand. I think I broke my hand. Um, ironically, Jason Smith is my best friend now. But I think it was a fight with Toronto with Jason Smith and. Oh no, maybe it doesn't matter. But anyway, I was I was um I was in the trade talks and then Bill Wirtz, who was the owner at the time, came out and said, Ethan Morrow will not be traded. He'll be the next captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. So then you know you're gonna trade. Well that that's a kiss of death right there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. So I was out for dinner and then I heard uh, I was with Cornell actually. She was she wasn't living at the time, but she was she was visiting and uh it was something like I know Chris Gratton was involved at the time. Chris Gratton was like thirty goals, thirty assists, in in an era where nobody was scoring. And um, but anyway, the the trade happened, and um, it was almost like jumping off the Titanic because as you, uh, uh, Chicago was terrible for the next decade, which would have been my career, and I was able to go to Edmonton. Um, it was just perfect timing. Again, I got lucky. I got on a line with uh, Mike Greer uh, and Todd Marchant, and we literally, you know, were probably the best checking line in the NHL for two, three years. Um, you know, we were never, it was, again, the salary cap era. We were never great, but we were able to make a run at the playoffs. And then when we had new ownership, we were able to spend some money and get to the finals. Um so it was a pretty good run, you know, that from that tra- trade, I was about, uh, and, and again, like Rick knows it was, it was, it allowed me to raise my kids in one city, 11 years is a long time. Um, speaking of like, uh, Jason Smith and Steve Stales, people that had kids. And then I knew before this, we were able to raise our families and really, and really kind of, um, build the culture that I think is the reason why we went to the finals. Um, um things along the way um and then after the finals things deteriorated quickly but i mean that just happens i mean i i if you talk to a lot of successful people you have about an eight to ten year run and then you got to get out of there and that goes for coaches gms everybody but i'm very thankful for my time there i had a very um good relationship with uh the fans the uh the children's hospital that i was on the board on um the inner city high school, which I was very instrumental in, in, in building, which is today the biggest, um, I think charity, um, construction ever in any sport. So I'm very proud of the things I did when I was there. Well, chop, let me stop you there because I was going to say to you, 
Uh, talk, you talked a little bit about the run-up to the Stanley Cup. What I really want to go through is a couple of things here. One, the city of Edmonton going through a bit of a transition after winning so, not easily, but with those powerhouse teams in the 80s, even the Eskimos dominating in the CFL. So Edmonton wasn't used to losing, and here they're going through this bad period. So this Stanley Cup run brought this whole new level of excitement back again, maybe more appreciation. Yeah. So maybe touch on that, but also the following season, your name captain, you can see why just talking here this little bit that uh, just oozes out of you. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the air, but it, it, it really does. You can see why you were a captain. And I'm sure you're where you were the last remaining asset, by the way, retained by the Oilers following the Gretzky trade in 88. And there's a whole level of trades to go through. And you're the last one, by the way. But it's a long trail of trades. But nevertheless, you get the captaincy. You're following the footsteps of that guy wearing 99, the guy wearing 11. Did you feel any sort of pressure coming at you following in that era of guys? Absolutely no pressure because you, you're talking about such a different stratosphere that nobody in their right mind would ever compare um, me to those guys, except actually except for Wayne, because um, as Rick knows, you know, we have some cool connections with the Gretzky family. But so I, I, I won the I won the Oilers MVP in 2004 two or 2003 with 31 points and he won it with 216 so yeah. <laughs> so he sent me a nice message he, he sent me a nice message uh he goes has has scoring the nhl changed this much um it was one of those fluke things like ryan smith got hurt and i think ta- like one or whatever but i ended up winning the, the trophy which is so cool because the trainers there, sparky and uh, Barry Stafford and just uh, just awesome guys. Kenny Lowe, they they made this uh, MVP trophy that was life size in a replica that that had like you know Gretzky, like Curry, Messier, uh, Fuhr, Ranford, Coffee, and then and then obviously many years later had my name on there. So it was it was something that was uh, I forget the question now, but. Um, Nah. Well, just the city, the way the city was responding to you guys when yeah, you guys yeah, were yeah. going through your run. Yeah, I think it was just a different time, too, where um, we've been selling out for a long time um, with, the, with the, the ownership change. Um, we were an eight seed, but we really, like on paper, were the best team in the league. We just we couldn't get a goalie. Like, we were literally winning. We, we won. This has to be an NHL record, but we, we pulled our goalie, and I think it was two – two games in a row so we're down so to pull your goal you're like, we're probably down three four nothing and we won both games seven six and this is just to stay in the playoffs but um but we were so deep we didn't really have a star like star up front but like our bottom nine our bottom nine guys all scored 20 goals in the in their career at one point um if you think about that it's pretty cool especially in that era yeah um you know our top line we had like horkoff hemsky and smith were you know, Horkoff, his best year was a point of game. Hemsky, same thing. Uh, obviously, Ryan Smith was uh, – I, I don't have to explain his game. No. But the importance of Pronger being the best player in the world at that time, and I'm not just saying just D-man, he was the best player in the world at the time, and especially the adversity he went through there um, with, his, with, his, with his personal life. And for him to play at the level he played at um, – was something I never witnessed. I mean, I played with Chelios and some good players, but this this guy was different, man. This guy, like, um, it was just it was something to behold. But then when you 
see he won the cup the next year and then went to the finals the year after. So that's three in a row. That's not lucky. Squid, what can you add to that? No, that is that. That's not lucky at all. And uh, but then also you, you mentioned you did all those charity things and and loved the city of Edmonton and obviously had a great relationship with the fans, the mm-hmm. people of the city. And then you win the King Clancy Memorial Award uh, because of that. And that must have been pretty gratifying to, to win that award for something that you did off the ice and not on the ice. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up, man. It was uh, it's one of those things that um, you don't do for the admiration. You don't do for the attention, um, but you like it. And I don't care who you are. Like, yeah, it's easy to say, oh, I just do that stuff. I don't need recognition. Well, it feels fucking good. So yeah. when you get recognized for doing good things in life, yeah. I'll take it. And, uh, and I did. And I, and I, and I've always done that because that's the way I was raised. All my, my grandmother and my parents were all involved in charities. Um, and they didn't have the platform of a million dollar, um, athlete. So the least I could do was be, um, a positive member of my community and do the things that I did. And I was again, and for me to make it to the, uh, to the NHL, I mean, uh, yeah, the NHL awards show in Vegas, honestly, this is probably my only chance to win this award. Not that I was trying to win it, but um, so it was pretty cool to be with all those other great um, players that were obviously at a different level than me skill-wise and hockey-wise. But to win that trophy, like you said, uh, Rick, uh, I'm glad glad you brought it up because it is truly one of my proudest moments. So, I mean, moving... Yeah, I would have have to think so because, I mean, you know, it's everybody talks about what the players do on the ice and everything, but hockey players are so giving. And I, I mean, it's unbelievable what, what guys do behind the scenes. I mean, I know I've done a lot when I played in Toronto and Buffalo and, and different places. I don't think people understand how good hockey players are at going out in their communities and helping people and helping different uh, aspects of the city. Do you think we're, do you think we're still doing that? I, I have a fear that our that our generation is very sheltered. There, there's not much accessibility to the public. I think a lot of the hospital visits are for show and for picture opportunities. And I hope I'm wrong, but I don't know how much of this is going on, how much help, or how many visits, or how many. Um, I don't know. Just making people's lives better is happening. And you know what? Maybe it's happening more than it happened when I played, but I don't, I don't know. And I wish, I just hope it is. No, because, um, go ahead. Yeah, no, I hope it is too. But uh, but I do know that back in, in the day when you played, when I played, everybody did it. And they just, they just went out and did it. It wasn't to get recognition or anything else. It was just what we did. And I think you're right. I don't know if it's as prevalent now as it was back then. Um, certainly it could be with the, the amount of, uh, uh, how popular the players are today in certain cities, they could certainly go out and do a big thing in the community and, and help out a ton, uh, especially yeah. the fact that they're making, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollars. Yeah. But what's, well, what's, what's you- more, what's more important than money though? Time. Well, I can tell you guys oh, that you're just showing up, man. You just show up. Yeah. That means well, like, you yeah. know. 
Well, I can tell you guys that uh, from us and Rick knows, uh, and Chop, you don't know this, but you know, we've I've got this name who's getting me by ESPN, the Ultimate East fan, and we have this big collection. We used our house for a number of charity adventures, every uh, you know, events anywhere from mental illness and depression to ALS to help kids with autism, all these different things. And we raised a number of millions of dollars at our home, but it wasn't us. We just opened our home to host these events. But we had people like Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, Squid come down every time from Niagara Falls or Steve Ludzik or all the Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan. So to your point, that generation just before you and your generation, they never, we had a guy that had to cancel last minute, Mark Giordano, Jumps in the car, drives over, pops in for the whole night. You know, we had fellas, Bazita, all these type of players. Never once did one guy ever, ever, ever turn us down. They were never paid a dime, and they couldn't do enough to help it. So the hockey players are absolutely the best, and I think they're bang on. Well, we yeah, we always have been, but I'm just I'm just saying, like I just like Squid said, we we we've always gone above and beyond, which people don't know because, like, let's face it, like we don't like how many times. Have your visits been uh, um, recorded? Maybe one out of thirty, you know. So I just hope we're 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 on the same path and doing what we've always done. And uh, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's important if you play hockey or not. Just fucking be a good person and help people. Agreed. Well, speaking of which, you leave Edmonton, stop in Columbus, off to LA. Didn't end on a good note for you from that standpoint. You get waived by these guys. It's a year they win the Stanley Cup or right around that era. The team is getting good. You play 900-plus games. Yeah. Take us through that period. You probably would like to have had a shot to at least get a shot to play, especially when Sutter came in. Oh, yeah. So that's all timing. So, so again, you got to remember, I, I lost part of my eye in Edmonton. Um, mm -hmm. I should have never played again. Um, it's tough when people want to give you money. Um, Scott Housen. Who, who built our Stanley Cup team really wanted me in, in Columbus to uh, work with uh, Rick Nash, um, which I wasn't sure what the hell I was going to tell Rick Nash at that point. But anyway, I go to Columbus and I have it, and I actually have a great start. I'm like, I'm playing yeah. second. I'm playing second most minutes in the team behind Nasher, and then uh, I block a shot in the PK, and um, and uh, I don't know who it was, but. It literally went – so I'm wearing a glove. It goes through my glove, shatters my hand, uh, basically ruins my career that probably should have already been over. So then, you know, the next summer I'm back in L.A. And you got to remember that my brother works for the Kings and, and you know, Jarrett Stoll, um, Matt Green, Dustin Brown, Anze Kopitar. These guys are my buddies. Like, like I train with them. They train with my brother. So – I'm on the ice with them. So it's natural. They're going to Lombardi and saying, Hey, we got to sign this guy. We got to sign this guy. So, you know, they, they, I, you know, I, I work out a contract uh, with Lombardi. Um, we were horrible at the start. Like the, the whole team was awful. We were in like ninth, 10th place. I wasn't feeling very good. I think I finally like just lost that step, but I was never a healthy scratch. You know, I was not once. And, um, I was trying to play through some injuries just that's just because you know guys were coming out of the lineup every night and I played my whole career I'd never been a healthy scratch so it was kind of something I, I was I didn't really talk about but I was really proud of and then um, and he just called me one night so usually you go from like healthy scratch to not playing right 
And uh, so he said, hey, we're sending you down to Manchester. <laughs> and I just started laughing. And, you know, I had, honestly, my ego is the worst part of this story because I should have just fucking went down there. But so he, so he was like, well, since these guys all love you so much and want you on the team, we'll see how they feel about you being in Manchester. And I, and I was, I was like, "Fuck you! Like, you think I'm going to Manchester? I just played 16 years in NHL." And uh, he goes, "We'll just retire then." And then I was like, "Fine." And then I was like, "Oh wait, I don't get paid. I'll be, I'll be, I, actually, I'll be in Manchester fucking tomorrow. I don't even care where my flight is. I'll leave right now." So, but, but I went to Manchester. And I went right to a psychological doctor, and I, I explained my concussion problems and. And I actually, on video, I had to taper. I cut the concussion. It's my fault. I mean, I reported it to the, the doctor, but I should. I just, I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to stay in the lineup. And he, and the Manchester doctor said, don't ever play hockey again. My agent called me, Pat Brisson from CAA, and said, don't, I already talked to your wife. You're never playing hockey again. I already got you a job in Montreal. So that was the end of my career. And, but, but going back to Daryl Sutter. So he calls me and, uh, uh is what i forget if i was still in manchester but um i was just uh, it was i was really happy to talk to him i just said man i like i'd love to do this with you but honestly the two weeks that um you can't believe how bad a shape i've gotten out of in two weeks um because i was one of those guys that was like i was like 230 in my career but i was like starving myself like eating 1200 calories a day and then I was probably already by that point, I was probably already 245. So I'm like, trust me, you don't want me. Like you have, I go, you honestly have better <laughs> options on your roster. And he goes, no, I don't. He goes, I need what you bring. I'm like, I don't have that anymore, man. Like you're, you just, I'm not that guy. And you know what? It was kind of emotional. And, and uh, of course, you know, cause that was the start of my career. And then this guy wins Stanley cups and wins it with my brother being their strength coach and Cairo. But, I have no regrets, man, but because um, honestly, like, even if, like, he called right away, I still would – I don't think I would have played very well. I wouldn't have been proud of myself. He wouldn't have been proud of me, so what's the point? It's funny. Uh, everything – every time we have an episode and pitchers come up, they bring back memories, and that last picture of you, I believe it was Chris Clark with you there, correct? Sorry, I, I, I was, was – that I zoned out there to see it, buddy. In Columbus, I think it was yeah. Chris Clark. You played with him, yeah. So I had oh, him yeah. in St. John with. I had him in St. John with Calgary's yeah. farm team, and it's funny because I was telling uh, Mike, and we talked about this a little while ago, is that every time they called and said we need a winger, we need a defense, whatever the heck it might have been, I would recommend a player because I'm I'm with these guys every single day. And the next day, they would always – I'd go into the room and they'd be packing someone else's bag. So they didn't listen to me for yeah. two goddamn years. Chris <laughs> Clark was the first guy they called up that I recommended. Had yeah. about three months left in, I think, uh, uh, the second year that he had played for me. And yeah. then he never played another game in the AHL after that. And I think now I think – I believe is the assistant GM in, in Columbus, is he not? I think. Yeah, I know. I, I know he said his roots since Columbus pretty good. I remember him in Calgary. I actually, um, I actually fought him a couple times in Calgary. 
Um, but I, I like Chris a lot. He was a hard nosed. He he got a lot out of his ability. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's still there. Great, great family guy. Great, great person. We're getting down great to kid. the. We're getting down to the last couple of minutes here, so we just yeah. we want to thank you again for uh, being with us here, Chop. But we touched on Bernie Nicholas Nichols being a notorious prankster. Yeah. Anyone else come to mind throughout your years when it used to be pretty prevalent in those days? We always get stories from guys coming on. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I was. I, I was pretty fun off the ice, but I was so serious, um, almost to a fault. Like in, in like when I went to work, um, I don't know if it's that Sutter or Chelios, but I was like, uh, I'm sure a lot of guys don't like me because of it, but I was all business all the time um, and, and, until the game ended. So I didn't get involved in any of that. I just, I figured like this league's so hard and, for me, it was so hard just to I, – I, I was on a checking line. I had to prepare for the best players. So I was um, – everything from, for me was to be regimented. I still had fun, but it, it wasn't uh, usually during uh, practices or games. And, yeah, you know what, I probably took it too seriously, but that's, that, that was my personality at the time. So I, I have no – I have no practical jokes for you because I just that wasn't that wasn't me. Well, you mentioned two guys, Matt Green and Dustin Penner. Now I think there was a story I read about you. You were pissed because these guys were stealing all your joke material, and you consider yourself a pretty funny guy at times, maybe away from the ring. So yeah, you're this, giving it to these guys. Yeah, this is on this is on the bus and plane though. That's where I dominated. I'm just saying, <laughs> like when I, when we came to the work place, I was pretty I buttoned up. I was pretty buttoned up, yeah, but but more of words, man. No, no, nobody, nobody could touch me in uh, in the plane or the bus. But yeah, and they did steal my material, and I know they brought it to other teams, which is fine because as Rick knows, we're we're really we come in the NHL with personality, and we literally steal little things from everybody. So our personalities are just a, a conglomeration of twenty other guys. We're not really ourselves when we leave. We're just all these guys we met and that's all we are it's true yeah well hopefully we get out and uh we start playing some nhl alumni games again uh yeah hopefully in the new year uh like i miss a game a ton i mean I, yeah playing in some easter shields tournaments yeah. recently and um but there's nothing like playing in those alumni games it's, it's so much fun you know you got you know, 12 guys that played in the National Hockey League yeah. for X amount of years, all getting yeah. together for a good cause, going out and having fun. Uh, I mean, there's nothing better than that. And even at my age, at, at 62, I don't give a damn. I'm, I'm going to play until they rip the skates off my feet. <laughs> I, don't care. I don't care what how old I am, but I can still put the puck in the net as long as I got guys like you on my line. <laughs> well, let, let me let me let me let me just touch on that quickly. It is also my favorite thing I do. I tell my wife that, like whatever it is, whatever charity event, whatever money, the, the the NHL alumni games are my favorite thing. I really enjoy them. I was lucky enough. I played with Rick a lot in Antropov, and, and even it, it goes back to my career. Like when I was on the third and fourth line, I was always the best player. So it's kind of cool to play. And Rick takes a lot of shit. Don't get me wrong. He takes <laughs> a lot of shit from the teammates about fucking scoring goals and being a cookie monster. But if I played – like, he's 62. I come out of the corner, 
and I look up, all I see is him fucking cock for a one timer. This guy, this guy <laughs> loves scoring goals more like as much as like Alex Ovechkin, and that's why he scored so many. But I, it, was, it was weird. Like, like I know it's just like old, we're old now, but I was like, if I ever played with a guy like this, I would have been so much better because he just knows where to go. And then I'd come to the bench and we'd be winning. They're like, don't don't pass this squid because you know we're winning. We got we don't, we don't want him to get a hat trick. I'm like, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible because he puts himself and he puts himself in spots where you have to pass him the puck. So so he is right. Like I don't care how old you are, you're like you're probably our best goal scorer, and I'll play with you for at least five more years. Why his his game is catching up. Your game's catching up, Squid, and we're gonna get him a try with my Markham men's hockey team. So we'll we'll get him out there one day and see if he can do that. Um now Chap, one last question here before I let you go. Besides not winning a cup, and we've talked about this, Rick and I, many times, the biggest regret, maybe not so much a regret, or if you had a do-over, what would it be from your career? Well, it would be to mentally prepare or um or or have our team do it for us. But for that game seven, we won game six in the Stanley Cup finals with such ease yep. that we that. physically dominated and they were scared. And I don't care how they're, I don't give a fuck what they say, but we were so much better than them. We just knocked off Detroit, who had 127 points. San Jose had 125 points. Anaheim won that. Stanley Cup the next year, so we fit. We, we really thought and and take nothing away from them. They're a good team, but and, you know we also lost our starting goalies, so we played three goalies during that series. Blah blah blah. So game six, we all play them so so bad, like we're 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 just dominant. That game seven, they actually played well and better than they had in the series, and it really threw us off. And I wasn't ready for it. Um, I wasn't. I felt like there could have been more done mentally for me going into that game. Um, I didn't feel great. I felt a little tight. I didn't expect to feel tight, but I was. And that pisses me off because there's probably something I could have been doing. So I didn't feel that way. Well, I mean, that, other, than that's, that, man, that's other than that, that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you get that close, and you know you're the better team, and something happens that you just don't win that seventh game. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, I never got that far uh, to the finals. Uh, yeah. But game sevens, I got twice in the second round and lost both. And uh, boy, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, like you know what, like you know, like the Montreal guys this year, like they don't feel bad because they knew they could play a series nineteen times. They're losing. 16 times right but when you when you deserve and you know you're better and you lose you don't that doesn't leave you man like you think about that i'm not even joking daily because but but when when a team just beats you that's different you can let it go but when circumstances happen when injuries happen and when you have those excuses which they are just excuses but those excuses don't help me like they don't help my mentality i still lost the stanley cup um, so yeah, it, it is very difficult. So the, the height of your career is literally, um, also the worst day of your career. If you, if you don't eventually win after that. And because really that's the only goal, right? Like, yeah, we want to make a lot of money and score a lot of goals, but, um, when you get that close and you don't win, it's, it's devastating. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Chop, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. It was great, great insights. Uh, again, as I said, I can see why you where you got your leadership qualities from to be a captain and squid. Uh, any final comments before we let him go? Uh, no, it's getting pretty dark out there where he yeah, is. It is. Where I see. <laughs> I can barely, is that a ghost? I can barely see oh, him for Christ's sake. Look at him. <laughs> well, you know where he is. But Chopper, it's great to have you yeah, on. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I can't wait till we're back out playing together again in uh, the alumni games and, uh, and having fun again on the, on the ice. Yeah, well, I miss you, Squid. I love you, buddy, and good luck. Uh, nice, nice to meet everybody, and yeah. I hope you guys uh, hope all your endeavors work out for you. Hey, thanks, Chopin. Again, nice. sorry, you're number seventy-three, thanks, but again, number seventy-three, number seventy-three in the list, number one in our hearts. <laughs> well, hey, it's it, it just like it's just like him telling Harry Sinden, I'll take number four or number eight. Well, I love that. One. <laughs>